A frustrated woman was afraid of her landlord. She was behind in her rent, uh, behind more than one month, and, and she didn't have, uh, at the moment, uh, she didn't have a job, she didn't have anything in her bank account or in her checking account. She couldn't afford to pay, and she didn't know what she was going to do, and here she's looking at a letter from her landlord that's been on her desk for a couple weeks now and she finally in frustration throws it away as if it never even came but it's followed by another letter and then another and and they follow each other unopened into the trash and then her landlord comes and knocks on her door it's just a gentle rap but she hears a pounding and she she just has one of those please leave me alone moments and she decides to pretend that she's not even home and all the while, her landlord just wanted to tell her that somebody had heard about her situation, had paid her rent months in advance, and he wanted to know if she wanted to have a mailing address for that person to just say thank you. But in her pride and in her, uh, what would you say, in her fear, she wouldn't let the message get through, and she was ignoring the words that would have fixed everything. This was the problem in our text that the Jews were having with Jesus. The chief purpose of the Bible is to lead all people to know and believe Jesus as their only hope of salvation. Every word of Scripture is dedicated to that purpose. Some of it is the law, preaches the law to crush those who are comfortable in their sins. And the rest of it is all gospel to comfort those who have been crushed by the guilt of their sins. Jesus, in our text, has healed a man. It's at the way, the other end of the chapter. But in John, after you get past chapter 2, kind of all the stories are at least one chapter long, and this is one of those. Jesus had healed a man at a pool, one of those uh, uh, water reservoirs that Jerusalem has. This one was called the Pool of Bethesda. And actually, it's just uh, a few yards north of the north wall of the temple. It's right there in the heart of the city, uh, up on the upper city. And some of Jesus' opponents, some of the Pharisees and the scribes, um, were upset that Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath day. And they began accusing him of breaking the Sabbath when people were supposed to reign from from refrain from labor, and they thought that meant from healing miracles as well. But uh, in the in the discussion, this led to a deeper debate about Jesus calling himself the Son of God, because they knew full well that God's Son would be equal to God the Father in every single way. Well, what had happened was, or what happened then was that Jesus pointed to his miracles as a testimony of his divinity. I'm the Son of God, and my miracles testify to that. And we all accept Jesus' miracles as being true, as they're written about there in God's holy word. But here was a man standing with the Jews who had been crippled, paralyzed. Um, our, our text says an invalid for, for almost 40 years. And he was standing there healed now for these last, what, 40 minutes or whatever it had been. And, and there were those there who couldn't help but believe and but there are those today who deny that it ever even happened. But there stands Jesus with power in his words, 
with love and, and healing in his heart, the Son of God, compassionate and aching to rescue mankind from our sins. Jesus turns to the words of the, of the Scriptures, to the Old Testament, especially just Moses, the first of the Old Testament authors, and he's, he says, all of those prophecies point to me, and to me alone. And Jesus was facing opponents, remember, who were well-versed in those scriptures. They were concerned about every little mark and, and dot and, and everything, and they, but they missed the big picture. Now, it's a fine thing to be concerned. It's a godly thing to be concerned about preserving the text of the Bible as accurately and as perfectly as, as possible, but they were so wrapped up in preserving the text that they forgot to look up and see the fulfillment of all of those prophecies standing in front of them. And there are those today who still refuse to look up and see their Savior. But there stands Jesus, fulfilling every word and promise of the Scriptures, the Son of God, compassionate aching to rescue mankind from our sins. What happens to someone who rejects Jesus? What if they're like these scribes, these experts in the text that were arguing with Jesus and accusing him of, of all things, claiming to be the Christ? Well, of course he did. That's who he was. But to reject Jesus is to reject the meaning of the whole Bible, everything in all 39 books of the Old Testament, all 27 books of the New Testament. Now, if someone rejects their Savior, who is to be blamed? Should, should their parents be blamed? Well, absolutely not. Not if those parents have done what parents have been given to do, taking their children to be baptized, bringing them along to hear what's there in, in worship, showing them uh, uh, how to study their, their catechism lessons, their Sunday school lessons. Maybe they even have an opportunity to go to a, a Christian elementary school or even high school or beyond. Or, or maybe because of their personal needs to go to Jesus Cares instruction. No, those parents have done what they were given to do. And a child's unbelief does not rest on their heads, even though it may weigh heavily on their hearts. No, you can still pray for them, though. Leave an open door for them. Even if the church has had to close a door, parents never need to. Your love for them will stay in their minds long after until finally they close their eyes for the last time in death. And who knows, but that your faithful example, uh, 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 parents, siblings, friends, family members, or grandchildren, that, that your example may be the thing that finally pulls them back into the arms of Jesus at the last possible instant of their time of grace. Do not give up hope, for there stands Jesus, always ready to receive the ones that he calls the Son of God, compassionate and aching to rescue mankind from our sins. In your uh, bulletin, uh, you, the, the, the yellow handout, you also received a, a kind of a tall white half-sheet card 
That's the thing that falls out to your annoyance when you stand up for prayer or something. You've got to bend over and pick it back up. And what's this thing for? Well, at the, would you take it out just now and look at the bottom of the front side? Because there, there are questions there that help you go through this sermon. But at the bottom today is uh, 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 one verse of our text, the most familiar one, with blanks to fill in. Um, and you may already know these if you happen to have a, uh, a pencil or something, you can fill them in. But it's verse 39. And it's something that we teach our children and have them memorize in our, our catechism classes in Lutheran elementary school. Even our older Sunday school children learn this and, and know it. And uh, uh, read along with this as I recite it for us. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Now, in context, that's a sermon of the law because these people had rejected Jesus. As Jesus is saying, you think that you search these things looking for eternal life, and it's there, it's me. And that's why for us, this is a preaching not of the law, but of the gospel because what Jesus says here is absolutely true about him. And what do these words teach us? They don't proclaim a new law as if it's believe this or else. It's, it's really the, the message of the gospel that is the message of God's grace. Now you probably learned the definition of the word grace, or I hope that you did along the way, of God's undeserved love. That is his love that we don't deserve. The love we don't have coming. And uh, there might be uh, uh, somebody along the way who doesn't understand this, but, but grace is the love God ha has. Why? Uh, it's because he's God, not because I'm who I am. Grace is the love that God shows because God loves, not because I'm lovable. Grace is the love that we don't deserve, but which we're given anyway because God is gracious. Over the years, I've met um, oh, this or that silly person, maybe um, superficial person, who has been offended by this, who's, uh, uh, who gets upset because they, they find out that God doesn't save us because of something in us that's lovable. But that's what the Bible tells us. You were dead in your sins. Not lovable, but dead. Why did God rescue us? Well, not because I'm savable, and, and don't get hurt when you find out that, it's, that you're not the cause or even partly the cause of your salvation. God didn't look at me and think, I'm going to have pity on him because he deserves to have pity, or because he's earned my mercy, or because he's worthy of my grace. No, God looked at me and said, you know what? He deserved to be damned in hell forever for his sins. And I'm going to save him anyway. That's grace. How can my response be anything but thanks and joy and love for God? Because if God had not been that way, if God had been fair with me, I would have no hope. The burning coals of hell would be what I would feel under my bare feet for all eternity. 
The torture of hell would be choking in my throat and the bruises and the gashes and the never healing broken bones and running festering sores would be in my flesh for all eternity in the loneliness of hell. In the darkness of hell. In the terror of hell. The pain of hell. The wonder and the fear of what's behind every corner, what's hiding and lurking behind that next sharp stone in, inside of every smoking cave of hell would be my constant dread and fear. But Jesus rescued me. Jesus saved us. There is Jesus welcoming us and smiling at us and beaming at us literally as brightly as the sun and beckoning us to enter into eternal life with him under blue clear skies and, and rolling plains of grass and, and running fresh clear drinkable water and fruit that's, that's different every month and every season with, where we hear the, 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 the sound of the birds in the sky and the laughter of, of, of children and, and, the, and the joy of our friends and family and the reunion we will have with him forever in heaven. There is the Son of God saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <laughs> it's enough to make death a, a welcome doorway, a, a, a moment that's kind of an at long last moment, not something to be feared because what if it hurts, but it's just like a rapids that you run at the end of a white water trip down a river that, that, where you come out on the other side in a wide, calm pool of clear water, home at last, done with it all, and thrilled forever. Here in the fellowship of the church, and by that I mean the, the people that make up the church, we are a hospital for sick souls, for broken hearts, for frightened sinners. The, our medicine, our only medicine, is the gospel of God's grace, the healing that Jesus offers to all of us in his blood. Believe what Jesus said and, and, and did, and remember that when I say believe. It isn't a command, but it's an invitation. It's the cure for our sinfulness. It's the medicine of eternity. Trust in Jesus and we have eternal life. And while we're here together in the, in the ER of the Lutheran Church, you and I are patients of the gospel, but while you're being a patient, be patient, and I mean with each other, because you look around and, and you think, yeah, I grew up with him. I know what kind of a sinner he is, and, uh, you know, or, 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 or what I've been around a while, and uh, I kind of suspect that, you know, we're all, uh, you know, that we're all really bad sinners, and that's true, but we're not hypocrites. We're not lying. We put our trust in Jesus, and you Put the best construction on everything. Take everything in the kindest possible way. 
Be patient with other sinners as they stumble and fall. As you're sitting in the waiting room, think of your fellow sinners as people in the waiting room of the ER at the, at the clinic or at the hospital, people with, uh, with an oxygen tank connected to them, people who are there for another radiation treatment, people who are there to get another update on their medicine or hear the results of this or that test or somebody who sits there with uh, a post-it note and just a very sad look in their eyes because we've come here to get the medicine that's Jesus. And you, you sick, saved sinner, be patient with yourself. Don't give up on yourself. You know, God the Father looked at the world when the waters of the flood were receding back and drying up after more than a year of what had been a, the, the catastrophe of, of, of the history of the world. And he looked and he saw the people coming out of the ark, all eight of them, and he, and he said, you know what, nothing's changed. Every inclination of man's heart is always evil, all the time. You and I will stumble and fall into sin a repeated bear trap that snatches at you and, and the devil who wants to get you when you're down and, and he'll want to do that, but, but know that your Savior loves you. It's, it's not going to end this whole business of, of stumbling over and over again and needing to run back to the cross. That's a lifetime, lifetime action. We, we try, we ask God to help us and he does help us, but... But when you stumble, be patient. Go to Jesus. Because there stands Jesus. Put your faith in him and, and, and he's reaching out his hand to you. It's the only hand you want to grab onto, the only one you will ever need. Because the Son of God offers you his rest, his forgiveness, his medicine here in the hospital for sinners. And the peace of God that transcends our understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.